All right. Good morning, everybody. Some of you may have heard I had a rough week this week. I had a fever, headache, sore throat that took me out for about three days. My fever's gone. Washed my hands before the passing of the peace. Um, so uh, if I seem a little off this morning at all, that's my excuse. Um, we're going to go a little shorter than we usually do this week. Some of you are probably thinking, hey, you should get sick every week, right? Uh, it's funny, the passage we're going to look at, Jesus uh, says, I wish you were hot or cold, but instead you're lukewarm. And I have a bit of a different take on that passage this week because I kept alternating between hot and cold all week, and what I really wanted was to be lukewarm. So I, I promise I won't let that influence my interpretation. But. So this is our seventh and final week in our series on the letters to the churches in Revelation. Uh, our last stop along the postal route in first century Asia Minor is Laodicea. And I really think that this is a fitting one for us to end on because out of all the churches that we've looked at so far, this one is probably the most relatable for us in 21st century America. Uh, if we aren't making the same mistakes as Laodicea, we're at least susceptible to them. Now, why is Laodicea relatable? Well, I have two main reasons. <coughs> One, uh, this church wasn't really suffering from persecution. Same with us. I mean, yeah, occasionally we might experience some discrimination because of our faith, but generally speaking, even if in, you're in the more secular New England states in America, uh, identifying as a Christian doesn't come with a great deal of risk, right? Uh, and that was true in Laodicea as well. The second reason we should find this church relatable is because they found security in their health and their wealth. They found security in their health and wealth. Laodicea was a prosperous city. They had what they needed and then some. Uh, and it was also home to a famous school of medicine. So people there had some of, of the best health remedies available to them uh, of the time period. And the people in Laodicea were especially proud of three things, uh, three, three uh, sources of pride for their city. One, their banks. Uh, this was a wealthy banking center. Two, their soft raven black wool. Not that the Laodiceans actually you know, had wool growing out of them, but uh, they were a textile uh, city. They produced really nice black soft wool. Uh, and they were also very well known for their eye medication. Uh, they had developed a compound for helping with eye problems. Now, I want all of us to keep these things in mind because Jesus is going to refer to all three of these things later in the passage. So the people in Laodicea had enough health and wealth that they were able to find security in that health and wealth. And we in 21st century America have even more health and wealth to try and find security in. Now, as I say that, I want to recognize that some of us have financial problems, uh, some of us have health problems, and I do not want to downplay the significance of those problems. Those are real problems. I'm not trying to say we in America don't have 
uh, real problems. But what I am saying is that in this place, at this time in history, it is probably easier for people to find security in health and wealth than any other time in history. I mean, if the Laodiceans could find security in their money, their black wool, and their eye drops, then how much easier is it for us to find security in our smartphones and our Netflix and you know, our surgeons and our naturopaths and our vitamins and antibiotics? I mean, we can probably get whatever health remedies they had over the counter for cheap at CVS, and we don't even think about it, right? And those things were, were their pride, you know, in Laodicea. So even more so than the Laodiceans, many of us are able to live with the illusion that our wealth and our medicine uh, are going to give us everything that we need. So we should definitely pay close attention to what Jesus has to say here. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along, uh, turn to Revelation 3, starting in verse 14. Revelation 3, 14. Let's say a quick prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning where we can gather together and look at your word together. We pray that your Holy Spirit would dwell among us and in us, and that you would give us insight into this passage as we read, Lord. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would take these words and impress them upon us uh, exactly the way that you want us to hear them, Lord. Um, bring these words to life and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, <coughs> neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. <coughs> Excuse me. So Jesus' message here begins with a verse that I have heard referenced in many sermons. It's the one that I referred to at the very beginning. Many of you are probably familiar with it. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And the way that this is often interpreted goes something like this. Jesus wants you to be hot or cold, which means Jesus wants you to make up your mind. He either wants you to be filled with spiritual fervor and passionately following him, uh, or he wants you to decide you're out and you're not a Christian. 
but this kind of middle of the road thing where you say, I'm a Christian, but your heart's not totally in it, well, you know, that is just the worst spiritual state to be in. It's even worse than saying, you're out. Now, I believe that that interpretation is a little bit off, okay? And I'm going to explain why. It's going to take a moment, but try to follow me here. As we've talked about throughout this series, Jesus is very intentional with the words he chooses uh, to speak to the unique situation in each church. And in Laodicea, they had a unique situation with their water. Uh, Laodicea didn't have its own water source, and so they had to pipe in both hot water and cold water from many, many miles away. And as that water made that long journey, it would go from being hot to not very hot, and go from being cold to not very cold. And so that was one of the few downsides to living in wealthy Laodicea, which is that the water was always lukewarm. And that's really unfortunate, because if you were going to bathe, what did you want? You wanted hot water. You know, just like today, most of us, if we get into a shower and the water's lukewarm, we're disappointed, right? Or if we've been working outside, hot day, and then we go to take a drink of water and the water is lukewarm, it's disappointing. So, in Laodicea, they were very familiar with the fact that <coughs> hot water, it's good, good for bathing, right? And cold water, also good, good for drinking. Uh, both of these things serve a different purpose. And so when Jesus says, I wish you were hot or cold, I believe what he means is something like, I wish this church was useful. <laughs> One way or the other, I wish this church was useful. So I don't think we should interpret Jesus as saying that if we're being half-hearted in our walk with him, he'd prefer if we just rejected him entirely. Uh, when you think about that, that just doesn't really make sense because cold water is a good thing. And according to that analogy, cold water represents rejecting Jesus. So that doesn't track, okay? So I hear in Jesus' words here something like, this church could be useful for my kingdom in so many different ways, but you're not being useful in any way. You're not being an effective witness. You're inactive. You're, you're being useless. You're like lukewarm water. You guys know what that's like. And then Jesus says how he feels about this inactivity. I will spit you from my mouth. And what I want us to see here is that inactivity in Jesus' church makes him feel sick. As we've talked about many times throughout this series already, the church is supposed to be like a lampstand or a lighthouse. And what does a lighthouse do? A lighthouse directs people away from danger and towards home. That's what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to be salt and light in the world, but when the church doesn't do those things, that's distasteful to Jesus. When it's useless and inactive and it fails to be his hands and feet in the world, Jesus says, yuck, this is not what I had in mind for my church. And then Jesus goes on to identify the cause of this inactivity. And this is very, very significant. Okay, this is verse 17. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. You see, Jesus is recognizing a link 
between the Laodiceans' wealth and their lukewarmness, their inactivity as a church. Now, quick disclaimer. It is not a sin to be wealthy, okay? Provided that you have earned your wealth in God-honoring ways and you haven't been ripping people off, it's not a sin to have wealth. But the way I like to put it is when we have a lot of wealth, it comes with a high risk of sinning. It's the same way with anger. Anger is not necessarily a sin in and of itself. Some anger is a healthy response. Uh, but when we get angry, the chance that we're going to sin dramatically increases. Managing anger without sinning is very hard. And similarly, managing wealth without sinning is very hard. <clears throat> because as soon as we have wealth, there's a temptation to find our hope and our security in that wealth. There's a temptation to let that, wa- that wealth make us so comfortable that we don't really think about God. Because we, we don't feel like we need him, right? Because, hey, we're all set. We've got our health and our wealth. And we can maintain this illusion of control. But Jesus says to the Laodiceans who have fallen into this trap, he says, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And of course, what Jesus is saying is that spiritually speaking, the Laodiceans are very, very needy. You know, physically they might not be needy, but spiritually they're starving. Spiritually, they're blind. Spiritually, they're in poverty and naked and pitiful because they've allowed their physical wealth to blind them. And then Jesus is very clever, as he always is. He's often more clever than we give him credit for because he takes those three sources of Laodicean pride and security that we talked about earlier, remember? Money, black wool, and eye medication. And he says, you need to get those things from me. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. Not gold from the Laodicean banks, right? Gold from me. And he says, I counsel you to get from me white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. In other words, forget that black wool that you're finding so much security in. If you're going to find security, you need to be clothed by me. And and the white robe is a symbol of the fact that he's not just talking about clothes here, right? He's talking about being clothed with his righteousness, clothed with the gospel of grace. That's where you need to find your hope and security. And then lastly, he says, get from me salve to put on your eyes so you can see. In other words, don't put so much hope and security in these medicinal remedies that are being offered. Put it in my ability to give you spiritual sight. Now, of course, Jesus isn't literally saying, don't get money from the bank, don't wear black wool, don't use eye medication. But he's saying, don't look to these things for your hope and security in life. Because if you're looking to the bank for hope and security, then spiritually you are poor. If you're looking to your fashionable clothes for hope and security, then spiritually you are naked. And if you're looking to modern medicine for your hope and security, spiritually you're blind. And again, money, nice clothes, medicine, nothing wrong with these things. 
but if they become the things that our hope is in, the things that we define ourselves by, the things that we're trying to use to cover up our shame, then we're on dangerous ground. We are looking for security in things that cannot deliver. Wealth comes and goes. You might have it one day, but who knows what's going to happen the next. Nice clothes are good, but whether we have them or not, our appearance still fades over time, right? Modern medicine does wonders, but we do all still die. I remember watching a documentary a few years ago about a very interesting guy named Ray Kurzweil. Has anyone heard of this guy, Ray Kurzweil? Patrick? All right, at least, at least one. Uh, I don't think he holds any serious credentials, really, but he calls himself a futurist. And he's an author, and he, he's written several books where he's made predictions about technological advancements, and some of them have been right on. Of course, they don't talk as much about the fact that a bunch of them have not come true as well. Um, but he has had some luck, or, I don't know, insight. Um, but anyway, in this documentary, Kurzweil was talking about how he's convinced that science is advancing at a rate such that if we can all just stay healthy a little bit longer, uh, then we're going to reach a key point in history where scientists will have developed uh, enough uh, technology, medical advancement, that they'll be able to extend our lives. And during that extension, he says, they'll figure out a way to extend them again. And basically, if we can just last a little bit longer, we don't have to worry about death anymore. And uh, Kurzweil was in his 60s when this documentary was made. He's in his 70s now. He takes over 100 supplements every day just to make sure that he can preserve himself long enough to get to this time in history. And I remember that early in the documentary, uh, he said something like, sometimes I think about death, and then I think about how happy I am that I won't ever have to die. And I remember thinking, Man, that line just has tragedy written all over it. <laughs> Science is good. Medicine is good. These are gifts from God. But they cannot provide our ultimate solution. And I wish Ray Kurzweil many more years of healthy life. But if I'm the one making the predictions, my prediction is Ray Kurzweil will eventually die. And if he's looking for eternal life, I think a much more sure hope can be found through the resurrected Jesus. The essential message in these verses is find your hope and security in me. A church becomes active and alive the moment its people realize that knowing Jesus is more valuable than anything. Right? More valuable than any amount of money more valuable than anything that can be bought on Amazon, more valuable than any health remedy or nutritional program. That's the key to a church coming alive. It's that realization. Jesus continues in verse 19. Those whom I love, <coughs> I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. In other words, look guys, I know I sound harsh. I know but I'm saying this because I love you. I'm saying this because I have your best interests at heart. 
So change your attitude. Stop looking to this stuff for your hope and security. And then he says another quote that's used in many sermons, probably even more sermons than the I wish you were hot or cold line. He says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Is this familiar? These words are usually used in evangelistic sermons to encourage people who are not believers to open the door of their hearts and let Jesus in. And uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with using this verse in that way. I believe Jesus does, in a sense, stand at the door of people's hearts and knock and, and uh, invites us to let him in. I do believe that. But what I want us to notice is that when Jesus said this, it wasn't an invitation to convert to faith. Because the people that he was talking to, this was the church, right? These are the people who have converted. What this was, was an invitation out of lukewarmness, right? An invitation out of lifeless spirituality into life. And if any of us feel lukewarm this morning, if we feel inactive or useless in our faith, if any of us feel like we've gotten too comfortable and complacent in life and we're really finding our hope and security and the wrong things and health and wealth and technology and medicine, Jesus is knocking on the door of our hearts and he's saying, let me have dinner with you. Let me have more of a relationship with you. In, these, in those days, <coughs> just like today, sitting down for a meal with somebody was a way of getting to know them, right? It was a, it was a, a way of building relationship, a way of expressing friendship. As I read this, I'm reminded of how, you know, in middle school, it was so important what lunch table you sat at, right? And, and this is kind of like Jesus is saying, I want to sit at your lunch table. Will you let me do that? And when we say yes to that invitation, that is the key to pulling us out of our lukewarmness. It's having that relationship with Jesus. It's, it's being with him like friends, having a meal together. You know, most of us have heard something like this for our entire lives as Christians. If you're a believer, especially if you've grown up in evangelical churches, you have heard things like this all your life. If you want to be spiritually healthy, stay close to Jesus. Have a quiet time. Read your Bible. Pray, right? Listen for his voice. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. Now, how many of us have heard that one? To be honest, I've always cringed a little bit <clears throat> when I hear that one because I'm like, well, you know, most people, when they hear, hear the word religion, they're thinking a system of belief that helps to make sense of the world. And that is what Christianity is, okay? So, you know, let's, let's not deny that. But there is a sense in which this is true as well, because this is a religion that is about being in communion with God, about being in relationship with him. That is the way that we make sense of life. 
And, you know, all those things that we've heard over and over again, stay close to Jesus, abide in him, pray, read your Bible. Jesus is affirming those things here because he's saying, I want a real relationship with you. This is the key to coming spiritually alive. I don't just want to be on the periphery of your life. I want to be at the center. And, and notice, he doesn't say to them, you know, get rid of all your money, get rid of your black wool clothes, burn up all your secular records. You know, that, <laughs> that's, that's not what he leads with here. He says, keep company with me. Have dinner with me. And he says the same thing to us today. So often we're distracted by our wealth and our entertainment and our responsibilities, so much so that we don't even hear the knock, Jesus knocking on the door of our hearts. But I think if we set some time aside to get away from the distractions, you know, take a walk outside in the woods or just sit in silence for a little bit, if you can find that time, I think when we do that, we start to hear the knock. You hear it when you feel awe at the beauty of nature. That's the knock. You hear it when your mind starts to fill with questions like, why am I really here? And where did I come from? And where am I going? And who am I really supposed to be? That's the knock. You hear it when you're suddenly filled with a sense of gratitude that you're alive, that you get to be part of this mystery. That's the knock. So create space in your life so that you can hear the knock. And when you do, invite Jesus to be with you. Let him in. Talk to him. Listen to him. And let that bring you to life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning, I pray that we would hear the knock. And I pray that we wouldn't just let it be drowned out by distractions or by health or wealth, but that we would open the door and commune with you that we would recognize, Lord, that you want to sit at our lunch table. You want us to know you and to know us. Lord, we pray for a depth of relationship with you, the kind that you have in mind. And we pray, Lord, that that relationship would fill up our hearts and, and free us from lukewarmness, Lord. We want to be a church that really is a lampstand, that really is a light. In Jesus' name. Amen.